something so everyone enjoys watching people blow up because there's a little bit of a sadistic side to golf as well. Welcome to Worst Told, the podcast that majors on disasters. I'm Michael Barron, your host. This is dedicated to golfers who have had a bad hole. Really bad. Double figures bad. However, you are not alone. We ask some of the world's best, what was their worst told? And does throwing, breaking clubs and swearing ever help? This week's confession comes from one of the longest hitters on the European circuit, New Zealander Ryan Fox. Okay, Ryan, what was your worst hole and your highest score? It wasn't just once either on that that hole. Um, it is the eighth hole at Namutu uh, in, in New Plymouth. It's a par five, a dog leg, right, big downhill tee shot, and then uphill to the green, and it's got OB all the way down the right. And I've never been a massive fan of, of big downhill tee shots anyway. It feels like the ball can go even further offline. And when I was younger, OB Wright wasn't a whole lot of fun either. So I, I remember one year playing the Taranaki Open. I think I made um, I made 12 on that hole. For memory, it was three tee shots out of bounds, and I think I, I completed it with a three putt. So it was a it was a uh, it was a complete mess. And then just to rub salt into the wound, I think a couple of years later, I was up on that tee and I'd been feeling terrible all morning and I get walk up to that tee box have one one swing wipe it way out of bounds turn straight off the tee box and completely lose my guts in the bushes and then have decide I'm done of you know I I, it didn't last very the the feeling of you know getting it all out didn't last very long got halfway down the down from the tee box threw up again and thought nah I'm this is me done had to walk up the hill to the clubhouse to finish and that's to this date, the only tournament I've uh, I've pulled out in mid round, so that it, and it just happened to be on the hole I made twelve on a couple of couple of years earlier. Are you prone to more high scores because you hit it so far? I'd say early on, yes, more just in the fact the further it goes, the further offline it can go. Uh, yeah. Just pure simple physics, I think, in that regard, and. Uh, certainly I was pretty erratic early and if you know if you think the small margins required in golf you know if your club face is a degree or two off off perfect and that's going 300 meters it's going a, f- a fair way offline compared to it say going 200 meters that same shot ends up in in some pretty bad places so yeah early on I probably made a few numbers here and there but I mean that's what course management's about you've got to learn that and sometimes you know playing aggressive and is not the right thing you've got to be able to throttle back off the tee you've got to understand where the best best miss is and I think that's a pretty important part of of learning the art of scoring. And during my research I noticed one of the shorter holes wrecked your scorecard that was the Omega Masters in Switzerland 2019. I would say it's probably the most over par I've had on a hole as a professional. You know, I know, you know, it was a, it was on a par three. I hit, I pulled one in the water, uh, and it was a tight pin, and I uh, had to drop it, chip it over the water with water at the back again, and then I happened to chip it in the water again with my third, and then 
I, for memory, didn't get it up and down. I dropped it again up by the water, then didn't get it up and down and made made eight. A couple of other holes that have, have given me the shits a little bit more than that one, I think. Which holes are those, Ryan? I'm the one that most people will know and have a pretty good idea of is the 17th at Wentworth. That's a big dog dog left par five. And again, it's that same thing as the eighth hole at Namudu. It's got a big elevated tee. And right's not really good. It's some trees and whatever. And left is OB. And the fairway slopes hard left to right. And I've never been... It, it just screams to hit a draw. And I'm never one that feels overly comfortable hitting that shot. And I haven't had complete nightmares down there. I haven't hit one out of bounds. But I get that's one of the tee shots I stand over and just I just hate the look of it and you know it's almost you hit one straight and you go oh thank god I've I've uh you know I've done that and then you know even if you had a decent tee shot the second shot down there and the green is really tricky it's bush on one side OB on the other for the second shot and it's a pretty tough layup and and the green runs away from you pretty severely in the second shot and if you miss oh the third shot sorry if you miss that yeah, you know, it's a pretty small target, and you can make six or seven really easy. And I've made a couple of couple of bad scores down there, and I've also had a hole out from ninety meters for birdie down there. So it's kind of one of those holes. Just I'm quite happy when it's over. How do you control your temper after those big scores? You kind of get used to it. I I don't mind if you get angry, but. You know, sometimes you've just got to let it out because it, it'll stew inside of you big time. And whether that's just swearing a couple of times or, you know, slabbing a club or whatever, I, I don't have too much issue with that. It's getting over it before you hit the next shot. You've just got to just accept that the next shot is the most important shot. And, you know, strange things can happen. You know, you, you can hold a shot or you hold a 40-foot putt for for bogey or something like that after hitting a couple of terrible shots and you walk off and go, ah, it's not that bad. So you've just, you've kind of got to have that mentality that, you you know, the next shot's important and sometimes, you know, if you make a double or a triple, you know, you can still make three birdies in a row the next three holes and kind of get it back. And, you know, golfers tends to be one of those games where the good and the bad breaks even out in the end. Did having your dad as an all-black help you prepare for what life was going to be like as a professional sports person? Were there any crossovers between the two sports? Yeah, I mean, I, it was definitely an advantage. Um, you know, Dad caddied for me a lot as well. So, you know, he, I think goal kicking and, and golf are pretty similar. Obviously, it's stationary. It's all about targets and process and that kind of thing. So, you know, without being really direct with it, I think Dad was very, very good at sort of nudging me in the right direction. Yeah, and I guess growing up, you know, being used to him being away and, and the travel and that kind of stuff, not that we travelled much, but we probably had an idea of what what was going, what top-level sport looked like. But, you know, I don't think it – in terms of what it was like, I don't think it prepared me. But in terms of some having some of the mental processes to deal with it, I think I was, I was helped along in, in that regard. You know, it was – you know, it was like having a sports psychologist from a pretty young age without the degree or anything like that. You know, even though the terms might be different, you know, the way most top-level sportsmen look at things is pretty pretty similar to the way a a sports psychologist looks at looks at them. And you know, I was very lucky 
and not not necessarily just with dad, but having access to guys like Steve Hansen, uh, John Kerr and Graham Henry, those kind of things, the rugby contacts. And I've been lucky enough to, to sit down and be able to have a chat with those guys, you know, about the mental side of sport. Yeah, talk, talk to me about that because I, I did read something that you'd sort of sort of stepped outside this, your sport and, and had talked to people like Steve Hansen and John Kerwin, um, particularly from the mental side. What sort of tips were they able to give you? JK, first, you know, I had a couple of tough times, off, you know, where I was taking the, some bad golf into the, the personal side um, and, you know, t- talking to JK about that and what he used to deal with, with the anxiety playing rugby and stuff like that really helped. You know, the idea of compartmentalising it, that just because you play shit golf doesn't mean you're a shit person, that kind of that kind of thing. And I know it sounds relatively obvious, but sometimes when you're in your own little bubble, it's hard to, to see things for, for what they what they should be. And, you know, I guess talking to Steve is about how the, how the ABs deal with things and how high performance works in, in that environment, which... You know the rugby players are potentially lucky in that regard. It's all of that stuff's almost in the system anyway. You know, obviously Steve and Gilbert Anoka is another one that worked really well with Steve on that. That the high performance aspect, the psychology aspect of it's almost part of the system. Whereas golf, you're a little bit more independent, and yes, you've got the freedom to seek it out, but sometimes you don't know what you you're kind of looking for. So to to get to chat to those guys about you know how they how they ran the mental side of the All Blacks is pretty cool. Finally, Ryan, what advice would you give to amateurs who make a big score uh, on a hole? The reason I play golf, even at the highest level, is because it's fun. I enjoy it. So just because you make a nine or a ten or a whatever doesn't mean you can't enjoy the other seventeen holes you're playing. And don't let one one good hole you can still you can still play a great round of golf. And have one bad hole. You know, that's you know, seventeen good holes and one bad one certainly certainly shouldn't one bad one certainly shouldn't ruin the day. Thanks, Ryan. Good advice. And thanks to you for listening to Worst Hole. I'm Michael Barron, and we'll be back very soon with more high score confessions. Enjoy your golf, wherever it may take you.